Hey, um, in 1939, none of you were born, okay? I want you to know that, uh, that there was a ship, it was, specifically it was a battleship that was rolled off the docks um, in northern Germany uh, that had never, nothing had ever been seen like this ship, okay? Um, it was uh, a, the biggest battleship to ever hit the waters, of planet earth up until that time it had more guns than any battleship had ever had it had bigger guns it had more armor it was faster it was more dangerous than any ship than any battleship that had ever hit the waters of planet earth up until that time and the problem was it had uh, a nazi swastika on the side of it okay it was a german battleship called the bismarck and the Bismarck wreaked havoc on the earth. When it hit the waters of the North Atlantic, when it started running its first missions, um, the English ship started s- sending out, hey, there's a big ship, man, it's big, and it's a German ship, let's go get it. Um, they sent their most decorated ship after the Bismarck, the HMS Hood, Her Majesty's Service, or His Majesty's Service, the Hood. And it was the most decorated battleship in the English Navy. The HMS Hood went after the Bismarck and located it. And before they even could see it on the horizon, they knew where it was, um, the shells started coming. And in about 15 minutes of a battle, the HMS Hood was headed towards the bottom of the Atlantic. Hundreds of soldiers were gone. Hundreds more were swimming in the waters. The Bismarck was dangerous dangerous and it went out over the airwaves from Winston Churchill to the Americas everybody was talking about the Bismarck it was a massive ship it struck fear into everybody's hearts could it show up on our shores could it take us out could it take anybody out it was that big of a deal the problem was it was so fast that it would show up get into a fight and then disappear literally it could outrun everybody and anything and uh, we couldn't find it, we couldn't locate it, we couldn't track it. Until one day, a little scout off the coast of England, a guy in a plane was flying about seven or 800 miles off the coast of England out into the Pacific, or excuse me, the Atlantic, and he spotted a ship, a really, really big ship moving really fast. And he radioed back, I'm not sure what ship this is, but it looks a little like the description of the Bismarck. And so they sent everything they had out, you know, like guys in rowboats with tin cans and rocks. They got everything that they're, they're sending everything out at it. And uh, they kind of trap it. They're a few hundred miles off the coast of England. And the Bismarck did what it always did, was it just wrecked havoc and sunk ships and then disappeared. As it was sinking ships and then it turned to disappear, something happened that uh, nobody saw coming. There was a bunch of planes in the air and they were dropping these one-off torpedoes, very long torpedoes, like six or eight feet long. Um, They had no steering mechanism on them, okay? So the planes would have to steer as they went and they'd have to drop it right on the right spot in the bottom of a wave, not into the top of a wave. And if it hit right, it would go straight, perfectly straight, and then it would hit. The only problem is that it would always, they would always hit the side of the Bismarck and just kind of throw some water up the side of it. And then all the Germans would come out on side and laugh. Ha, ha, ha. You know, it's like, 
nothing was happening. It was, nothing was happening. The armor was so thick. The, the metal on the side of the Bismarck was almost two feet thick, solid metal. Nothing was getting through. They were lobbing things at it. It was horrible until this pilot named Jock, his nickname was Jock, his real name was Jack Moffat, but they called him Jock Moffat, very English man, and uh, he had a, a, a spotter guy in the back for the torpedo, and as he was flying towards the Bismarck, he had one chance. He had a bunch of guns on the front of his plane that um, were, should have been like BB guns because it didn't matter, and he had this one torpedo, and he didn't know what he's going to do. He just had to get it straight, so he looked back for his spotter, and his spotter is hanging out the side of the plane, okay? Barely in the back seat of the plane. This is a biplane with a big prop in the front, okay? 1941. And they're hanging, he's hanging out the side of the plane, and he's saying in a thick English accent, not yet, Jock, not yet, right? And he's like, oh, we're getting really close. I gotta let this torpedo go. He's like, not yet, Jock, not yet, okay? And so he's watching this spotter is watching the waves because he wants to let that torpedo go right down in the bottom of a wave so it lands straight and true and he says now and he hits the deal and it lands in the bottom of this wave perfect and true and it's going straight and it's heading towards the Bismarck as the Bismarck is turning to leave to just run out into the open waters and outrun everybody and get out of the way well as it turns to leave that torpedo hits its mark and does no damage that anybody can tell, just like every other one, except the Bismarck slows down and just starts going in a big circle, okay? And everybody's like, what, is this some sort of new war tactic we're not, we're not aware of, you know? Like, what do they have up their sleeves? So they put some of their boats on the middle of the circle and some of the boats on the outside, and they just still started throwing everything they had at it. And they finally landed some shells on top of the deck. They finally landed some more on top of the deck. They finally hit it with a couple more torpedoes and they put a hole in the hull of the ship and the Bismarck on that day in 1941 sunk right there a couple hundred miles off of the coast of England. And nobody knew why for a very long time until they started to investigate, actually went down and looked. And you know what they realized was that torpedo that Jock Moffat let off on that plane, it hit it in a very important spot, didn't it? It hit the Bismarck in the rudder. Okay. It knocked off one of its propellers, and so it could only go at half speed, and it cocked the rudder to one side and jammed it there. So it was down to half speed, and all it could do is go in a big circle. Okay. That's why the Bismarck was sunk. The greatest battleship up until that time to ever hit the waters of planet Earth was sunk because it was hit in the most important spot. Okay. We have been studying um, in our mornings together these letters from God through Jesus, through an angel, through John to seven churches in seven old cities. And the one that he's writing to this morning, he's saying the same exact thing. He's saying, don't be the Bismarck. Okay. Don't be the Bismarck because there's something very, very important in your life. There's something that steers the rest of your life, and it's the most important thing. I've tried to teach you over the last four years something that I believe is wholly true for every individual on the planet. Um, 
and you may not remember the language, but I've hoped to have tried to communicate this to you that the direction of the rest of your life, the course of the rest of your life will be dependent on your relationship to the word of God. It is the rudder of your life. If you find your place and find your home and find a love for God through his word, then he's going to have full reign of your life to say, hey, you're a little off course. Go back this way. I have something really, really great for you. Or you're a little off course. Go back this way. You're right in the perfect spot. I have something great for you. And that's what he's telling the church of Pergamum. I know it's a weird word, weird name, weird city. But uh, we'll read in Revelation chapter 2 again. These cities are ancient cities all around the same area. We could have walked to and from these seven cities in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, uh, probably two or three days between each city. Most people walked um, 18, 20 miles a day in the ancient Near East. If you could travel, if you were going from here to there, you could plan to kind of walk 18 miles in a day, 20 miles. And get to all of these seven cities from any other one within a couple of days. They were all right there close to each other. This is what the angel um, communicated to John from Jesus to the church at Pergamum, okay? Chapter two, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write this. The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Remember, this is the guy sitting on the throne, right in the middle of heaven. This is the guy with eyes that are burning, white hair, feet like molten metal, remember, face like the sun. This is Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. What do you think that is? It's God's word. It's his breath, it's his direction, it's the scriptures and all that it means and contains. This is the one who speaks. Verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This is exciting, isn't it? Wow. They live where Satan lives. Did you know he had a home? He's like a summer home in Pergamum. Did anybody know that? Um, And you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. We'll stop there just a second and tell you this is probably why they said um, the angel wrote to where Satan dwells in Pergamum. There's lots of horrible things going on here, okay? Um, They have a host of temples called the Esculpium that uh, are dedicated to all these different gods um, and people go there to worship. They go to do very, very immoral things in the honor of these gods. They also had an altar to Zeus, the god of the gods, the king of the gods, the leader of the gods there in Pergamum. This was also the central place where they began and promoted emperor worship, the Roman emperor, the king of the Roman empire. They considered him to be a god among men and they worshiped him like a god so any god you wanted to worship you could worship here this angel writes something really really cool he's writing between the lines right at you he says there's only one god the creator of all things there's only one true god that is the truth everything else is not true so whether it appears like zeus whether it appears like the emperor of Rome, whether it appears like Artemis or Diana or whatever, you know what it always is? If it's not the truth, it's Satan. It's the father of lies. And so he says, I'm writing to you, Pergamum, where Satan lives, where his throne is, right? You remember the idea of throne? 
This is a city that is also built because it's made up of people with a throne right in the middle of their life. And they have allowed, the city has Satan to sit on that throne, the father of lies. Everything that they're about is a lie. Okay? Encouraging, right? Great. <laughs> Let's look at verse 14. It gets a little better. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have hold, there are some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some in the, na- in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay? Let me, let me read these last two verses and I'll explain that to you. I know this is all in code. You're like, what are, what are we talking about? I'll read these last two verses and explain it to you, okay? Therefore, here's the application. Repent or else I am coming to you quickly. You realize that Jesus just said, or else. It's like, hey, he's a lot like my parents, right? That's pretty nice. Um, Repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Here's the big point. He's writing to a church that's very, very messed up, okay? All they're about is lies. He says, you're doing good in that you're, you're loving people. He says, you, you had this really, really good witness of mine named Antipas. We don't know much about him, but apparently did really, really good things. And he stood up for the truth in the midst of the lies, and they killed him. And he says, I'm proud of you for supporting that guy, even though he's no longer here. But here's what I have against you. You're not acting like he did. You're not supporting the truth. You're not backing up what is true. It's exactly the opposite of Ephesus, what we looked at yesterday. They were all about the truth. They just didn't love Jesus. They were all about doing the right things. They had forgotten their first love. Here he says, Pergamum, you probably are trying to love Jesus, but you care nothing about what is true and what is not true. You know, the truth is like that. There are things that we would call wet, right? The ocean, the sea, the rivers, anything that you pour water on. Um, And if there's things that are wet, there are also things that by definition lack wetness. We call them dry things, whatever that is, okay? A cracker, the desert, whatever, okay? There are things that are wet, there are things that are dry. If we have things in the universe that are wet then by default, we have to have things in the universe that are dry, right? Because not everything can be wet, unless we're in water world or something here, okay? Not everything can be wet, so that's the idea of something can be dry. If there's something that we call black, then there's something that is non-black, any other color but black. That's the same way with truth. If we have something that we say is true, then by definition, there are other things that are not that that are not true. And so we cannot say, despite what your college professors or even some of your high school teachers or middle school teachers will tell you, we cannot say that "Ah, everything's okay. If it's true to you, then good for you. If you believe it wholeheartedly, you really, really want to believe it, then it's probably true for you. Go right ahead and do it. We cannot say that because that's not the way the universe works. 
Not every color is black, not everything is wet, and not everything is true. There are other things that are not true. There are other colors, and there are things that are dry. Do you understand? And so what he's telling this church is that you need to believe the truth and reject what's not true. You're following some of the teachings of Balaam who said, hey, let's just do this, man, it'll work. Or some of the teachings of the Nicolaitans that said, hey, everything is fine, man, don't worry about it, just do it. If it's fun, enjoy it, you know? He's saying, that may be enjoyable for 15 minutes. You may like that for a little while, you may like that for a few years. Until you get the word from the doctor or until the phone rings in the middle of the night or until you lose your friend and you realize that this lie that you've been chasing is only a lie and it's dark and rotten on the inside. And he says, don't follow untruth. You follow truth. You be like the Bismarck and you protect that which is most important, the rudder of your life. He says, if you act like that and you try to think about the truth and follow the truth, make your life about the truth, the more you get to know Jesus, by the way, that happens, then I'll give you some of the hidden manna. You remember that from the Old Testament, right? They were out in the middle of the desert, didn't have anything to eat, and God says, I'm going to give you food from heaven. It's like cornflakes with honey, okay? Fell out of heaven. Crazy good, right? is going to give you some of that this white stone that he promises at the end is awesome because in the ancient near east that was a vote of confidence it was a vote of affirmative it means like i vote for you um you are the victor and i voted for you it's a white stone it's a very precious thing it said it has a name written on it that nobody knows except he who receives it you know whose name i think that name is written on that stone it's the same name for every one of us it's the name of jesus It's the name of Jesus. And only those of us who receive it know that name. It's not new name compared to an old name. It's a new meaning a different name, a special name for Jesus. The one who his word comes out of his mouth like a double-edged sword. Here's the idea. In all of your life, you need to get to know this. You get to know this by following after Jesus and chasing after him and making him your first love. And this becomes a sifter for all of life and you say man I'm going to take this decision and I'm going to put it on top of this and I'm going to shake it back and forth and whatever comes out of the bottom is what I'm going to believe and what I'm going to follow all the junk that's left up on top I'm going to throw away because that's not true I'm going to sift these lies. If my friend tells me this about that, a college professor, a high school teacher, uh, a friend, uh, someone on the side of the street, even a pastor, someone tells me something, I'm going to sift it through this word. And if it comes out the bottom, that means that God word, God's word agrees with it and it's true. And I'm going to grab onto that wholeheartedly. All the junk that's left on top is not true. And I'm going to throw it away. That's how we have to live our lives. That's what the angel is telling the church at Pergamum. You are believing everything. You're bowing down to everything. That's a bad way to live. We need to believe the truth. It is the rudder for the rest of your life. The direction of the rest of your life will be determined by the truth. And God's word is the truth. 
right? That's the warning and direction and teaching for the church at Pergamum and for us this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for um, this reminder that your word is much more important than any of us think it is. Even those of us who make our lives about teaching it and thinking it and memorizing it and sharing it with others. It is so much more important. It is so much more critical. And I pray for these men and women, every one of them, you would impress upon their hearts the importance of your word, that they would fall in love with you and follow after you closely, and they would get to know your word, and they would believe the truth and reject the lie. We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name.